back hello everybody welcome to another episode of talking upstream uh an aggressively creative show where myself zach wiseman <laughs> and my partner on this side dylan terry what we're trying to do here is talk ourselves up to a streaming service we are pseudo creative people we like to make weird stuff you can see the things that we make on our website which is right here some nobodies.com uh, but yeah, some things that we do work on. Obviously, this show, Talking Upstream, we have a live version of this on Tuesdays called Twitching Upstream. We do a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, special thank you out to IBM TV, International Broadcast Media Television, for having us on here and letting me talk to my best friend, Dylan, about weird projects that we want to make. Uh, Dylan. Zach. <laughs> how, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. It's uh, all right. Getting, getting sunny, melting all the snow over here. How are you? Yeah, doing great, thanks. I uh, no. had to shovel uh, a metric ton of snow this week, so I'm uh, no. very upset about that. You've, but uh, uh, You've got some pretty lavish digs behind you. Yeah, if you guys can't tell, uh, some Nobody Studios finally got done. Uh, we're, we're out of the brickworks here into it's a library. <laughs> where Dylan and I will start working on some of our projects. Uh, in this library, we've created such projects as Give Me Back. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had more to say after that. I, I would it's like to progress. have a couple of things. That's all, that's all I need to say right now. <laughs> yeah, but enough about us. We have amazing guests today, and I'm mm -hmm. very, very excited to have this on. Dylan, do you want to introduce our guests? I, I talk way too much, obviously. Yeah, so we've got a power duo right here. We've got um, Bruce Kimmel and David Wechter, and I hope I pronounced those right. They are a couple of actors, producers, directors, writers, whole bunch of whole bunch of titles after that. But I'm going to bring them on, and we'll let them uh, explain what they do, who they are, and how to find them. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. How are you two Hello, today? gentlemen. We are a power duo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being a power duo is one of the reasons that we were so excited to have you on here. Uh, Dylan and I, one of our main goals is to become a power duo. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the first team writers that we've ever spoken to and interviewed so we're pretty excited about that but do you guys want to talk about some of the things that you've worked on that you're most proud of sure david bruce <laughs> well let's see <clears throat> i think between us we've got about five or six feature film credits of produced uh films um mine include the faculty which bruce and i co-wrote the uh first draft of the screenplay and um, also the classics Malibu Bikini Shop and Midnight Madness, about one film per decade. And in between those and thereafter, I've worked on a lot of TV and uh, digital pro projects for everything from YouTube to Netflix to uh, um, all the networks. Bruce? Well, uh, I, I was an actor to begin with, did most of the... Uh well-known uh, sitcoms uh, and shows of the 70s. 
Uh, I was a semi-regular on the Partridge family and in Happy Days on the Vernon Show and all that stuff, Nash, uh, Atlas, whatever they were. And uh, then I uh, made a film, which is, I guess, considered a big cult film called The First Nudie Musical. <laughs> and uh, uh, after that, a film called The Creature Wasn't Nice, which starred Leslie Nielsen and Patrick McNee and Garrett Graham and Cindy Williams uh, and myself. And... Uh, I, 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 I sort of stopped doing that stuff uh, in the 90s and became a full-time record producer and uh, had a lot of success doing that. was up for a Grammy my first year of doing that, and or two Grammys, actually, uh, winning neither. And um, then uh, I, I've been writing a lot of uh, books. I have written 21 books since 2001. And uh, having a ball, and I've gone back to directing now and writing, so that's what I've been doing. Wow, that is we impressive. share many talent. <laughs> I was just gonna say we share many uh, talents, and and um, we were drawn to each other with our, our sensibilities for humor and on both being writer, director, producers. But I am not an actor, never was, and never will be. I don't know. We may change that soon, but uh, <laughs> but we're also both songwriters. Too, which hmm. we, yes. we have in common. Wow. And you guys Back, do it all. Have... It's a pretty hefty resume each there. Yeah. Um, now, Dylan and I, we actually met. We well, Obviously, we grew up in different places. I grew up on the East Coast, and I did stand-up comedy in Philadelphia. And then I moved to Colorado. Dylan grew up in Michigan, and then he moved to Colorado. We met at actually a grocery store. Uh, where did you guys meet? How did your creative process be begin as a team? I can, well, we, I, I can yeah, say. Go ahead. Exactly how we met. Uh, we were <laughs> uh, David's uh, then partner, Michael Nankin, had seen me in a show that I had written called Stages, and he thought I would be perfect for Midnight <laughs> Madness. So he had called me in to read for Midnight Madness, and apparently I was not perfect uh, since I was not cast by David Wechter. <laughs> I have no memory of that casting session. <laughs> I'm sure you would have been great in the lead for Midnight Madness. I have no memory. But uh, I remember, but then we didn't, we never crossed paths again until probably 10 years, five, eight years later at a party. Yes. Because we had both um, made short films for an anthology show on Showtime called Likely Stories. And we had both done parody films. And we met, I guess, I think it was a rap party or something for that show. And that's um, that's when we realized that um, we had a lot in common. Yeah, we just became best best friends right after that. Friends now, first and partners later. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully Dylan, Dylan and I uh, get the same way. We're friends first, kind of, I guess, but definitely partners yeah. now. So. <laughs> uh, so about the faculty, because you gentlemen both worked on that from the creative process, correct? You wrote that as a, a project, uh, as a duo. Is that correct, Mr. Rector? Yeah, that was a spec script that we wrote um, in the 1980s, uh, or, or early 90s, sorry. And uh, earlier? Yes, it will surprise you how much earlier. Okay. We wrote it Tell in 86. Wow. Wow. So we wrote a spec script in 1986, uh, loosely based on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. What if something like that happened in a high school? And um, that concept, we both love science fiction, humor, horror. 
immediately thought that's got to sell. We wrote it probably in like six months and, and within a, a year we had our final draft and it made all the rounds with our agent and no, nobody wanted it. I think that horror films had kind of cusped um, and we were a little late to the party. And then nothing happened. We went on with different projects and about seven years later, the phone rang and it was our agent saying, I just sold your script, the faculty to the, uh, to uh, Miramax. And uh, he dusted it off the shelf because Miramax was, um, uh, horror films were back in vogue, thanks to Kevin Williamson's The uh, Scream uh, movies. And um, they were looking for a teenage horror film set in a high school. And, and uh, our agent, Alan Gasmer said, oh, I've got one. He sent it over to them and the next day they made an offer. Yeah. When when you guys were originally writing that script, did you have any sort of process in mind or was it primarily just kind of sitting together, hashing out story beats and then putting just words on a page? We uh, we ate a lot of lunches. That's our process. Uh, <laughs> I would come over to his house. He was in North Hollywood then on Farmdale, if I recall correctly. And uh, I was living also nearby. And uh, we would uh, sit in his little office room and his dog Wilma would come in and we would have just chat and yak and then we would write. It was painful for me in a way because I had never written with anybody before. I uh, was always on my own. So I didn't know what that process was, but we just loved the same things so much that it, it became kind of easy uh, ultimately. And uh, we wrote it a little quick, more quickly than David remembers, but uh, it was, um, it was uh, really fun. It was really fun, and it turned out really well. Now, David, was this the first project that you like, wrote with another partner as well? No. Um, <clears throat> Midnight Madness, as a matter of fact, uh, the uh, film that infamously Bruce auditioned for and didn't get the part, which I will never live down. Um, <laughs> I wrote that with a partner. Uh, Michael Nankin, with whom I co-wrote and directed films since junior high school, literally. I'll, I'll, and we went to film school and made short films together. And um, I have always enjoyed working with a partner. I find it way more fun, way more stimulating. It's hard to hard for me to, you know, look at that blank page. And so, and Bruce is a lot of fun just to be with. So it was uh, it was perfect for me. Nice. Now, Bruce. Can you remember when the the inception of the faculty was like? Who, do you remember whose idea it was to say, "Let's do this idea and, and go forward with that"? I remember everything about everything except what I did five minutes ago. I have no. <laughs> but uh, I had, a, you know, as I frequently do, sometimes I wake up at night and things pop into my head. And I woke up one night and literally thought Invasion of the Body Snatchers in high school. Who doesn't think their teacher was an alien? And uh, I called David the next day and I said it. And he just went, oh my God, let's do this. We have to do this. It was just one of those ideas that was so right. And you know, the fact that nobody had thought of it is what the shocker was because it's such a natural idea. Mm -hmm. And we just had a blast doing it because no. we, we both, you know, loved. I don't know if that we loved high school, but we we understood the milieu. 
Um, <laughs> so after that got dusted off, um, did you have any, you have any hand in it, like motion forward or is that just kind of like, uh, yeah, you can have it and do with it as you will. Or did you have some uh, hesitancy to really kind of give it up? I, I don't. Once, uh, once we heard the cost, the price, uh, we had no hesitancy whatsoever. Now it was a welcome deal. Um, we hadn't uh, made uh, feature films in a while. I think we're both working in TV and stage and so forth. And uh, no, I mean, I don't, you just don't turn down a chance to get your work on the screen. You know, in a perfect world, would we have loved to direct it? You know, we're both directors, produce it, yes. But, um, you know, Kevin Williamson was a hot commodity and it was uh, with uh, um, a, a reputable company and they paid a good price. And so um, we, we we were happy to do it and uh, and they took it from there. I mean, now, they, uh, they bought it specifically for, for Kevin to rewrite. They told us that up front. Okay. And he was so, going to direct it. They, see, Scream was a huge hit. <clears throat> and they want, they were looking for a project for Kevin. Yes, Bruce, you're shaking your head. No, I no. do remember this. <laughs> okay. And anyway, Kevin Williamson was going to make his directorial debut. And um, so that's, that's, they were looking for something for him. And they literally called our agent, among probably other agents, and said, oh, we're looking for like an invasion of the body snatchers for teenagers. And he said, well, so he pouched it over there, which is before email. And, um, and, and yeah, and so Kevin was going to be the director. He did do the rewrite and, and wrote the final screenplay, but I think it became so big that they realized it, it was like too big of a concept and you know, with special effects and lots of action for him to do as his first um, directorial uh, movie. So. He, he he waited to, to direct a film till after that. Now, Dave, how close to the finished project was your initial script that you guys worked on? You know, you, I, you, uh, it, the, the premise is the same and the, the main thrust of it and the creepiness and the homage to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that is all the same. Um, some of the aspects about the nurse's office and the creatures and, but um, Kevin did rewrite almost all the dialogue and put it in that kind of hip teenage uh, kind of lingo that he was, um, you know, known for and, um, and added uh, some of that sensibility to it. Now, Bruce, we asked a lot of our friends and fans, uh, if, if they had the opportunity to ask you gentlemen a question, what would they ask you? And overwhelmingly, people were asking to ask you about scat. Now, was scat in the original script, or was that something that was added later on to make it more of a 90s flair? It was added totally by Kevin Williamson, because neither David and I would know what scat was. We, don't, we yeah. didn't. We didn't know what marijuana was, probably. Uh, so that that aspect of the film was not in our our draft. He kept literally. I don't think he kept one line of dialogue, but he did keep two character names. Our lead guy's name. He made the girl the girl's name, and the principal's name. I think was the same. But the structure of the film is what we did, and the fact is they were nervous about having to arbitrate with the writers' guild. <clears throat> for the credit, for the screenplay credit. You remember, David? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, so they called the agent and said, 
what will it take for us not to arbitrate the uh, screenplay credit? And you guys will retain sole story credit and be first up after the uh, the ending and blah, blah, blah. So they paid us not to arbitrate. It was quite nice. Wow. Now, in the process of the filmmaking after you sold it, did you have any say or were you like it in the rooms while things were changing or was it more like you sold it, it was just theirs now and, and you're hands off? That's exactly right. And we they, they did give us the courtesy of sending us drafts of the script. You know, we read it and we knew it wasn't us. But, uh, you know, we like, I think David would agree that we like certain aspects of our script better. Yes. Yes, including the lack of the lack of scat. For yes. your, your, I don't know whether your uh, viewers are uh, like that aspect or didn't, but I, I, just to be honest, I didn't believe it. I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't see how that mixture of of uh, over the counter pharmaceutical drugs was really going to be that popular. I, I just, I, I didn't think it was a necessary uh, plot device. So, I could yeah, be they wrong, were but that was my opinion. Yeah, they were definitely curious as to how the process of making that a drug and then obviously the finished product of how to destroy the aliens. Now, did you gentlemen go to like a uh, uh, like a premiere or anything or did you happen to just catch it on your own later on? We went to a party. What was that party, Bruce? The premiere party? They invited us to the premiere. We went to the Village Theater in Westwood and saw the That's right. for the first time. And I got to tell you, the audience loved it. They scream, and the the opening of the movie is very much what we wrote. The prologue is very close to what we wrote, <clears throat> and uh, yeah. I went up to the party afterwards. And David said uh, the most brilliant thing ever uh, to Harvey <laughs> Weinstein. Do you remember what you said? Yeah, we did, we had never met him. We never. That's met how him. that's how detached we were from the production. <laughs> Go ahead, Bruce. No, tell him what you said. Do you remember what you said? I, I know you do. I do. He went up to <laughs> he went up to Harvey. This was after after a martini, probably. At <laughs> the party. Went up to Harvey and he said, Hi, Mr. Weinstein, David Wechter, Bruce Kimmel, first draft. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Harvey, I think, was just looking for some women to bring up to his room. So yeah, he said who? And uh but but I'll tell you who was wonderful to us at that party was Kevin Williamson, who yeah. had come up to us and say, none of this would have existed without you guys. And right on. So that was good. Now, yeah, I, good on, so Bruce, as an actor, did you were you acting at the time where you would where you would help write this? No. Okay. Um, given it up. I, I was doing the only thing I was doing up until about '93 was uh, commercials. Okay. I'm, I'm, I was just curious if your other experience in the industry had kind of informed how you wrote the script or if you had tr tried to go into it with completely fresh eyes as far as like, now I'm writing and I'm not going to act in this or something along those lines. Well, I had already written a lot of stuff. Uh, okay. Both movies that I'd made and David had written a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. It was just acclimating ourselves to each other and uh, how it was going to work, but it worked. It was, we just, again, I can't express to you the, the most, the, the most interesting part of it was the fun we had mm -hmm. because we just laughed all the time. We food <laughs> all the time. It was just, how much can we write? And then we need to go eat uh, at, at 
the barbecue place or whatever place. It's uh, it, there's really a, a, an energy and a synergy you get when you're working with someone and you're on the same wavelength. There's that, nothing better. And and one of you comes up with an idea and the other person tops that, and it's just better than the sum of the two parts. I completely um, I, agree. I, I, go ahead. Oops. No, please. No, that's okay. That's why David I'll, and I uh, continued uh, on, and we wrote a. Uh, <clears throat> I had had an idea for a spoof of uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space, uh, which I then called Plan Ten from Outer Space, and uh, I had written a film script, and it was terrible. <clears throat> first script ever written, and I said, David, there's an idea here. Read it, and there's something here, and I think it was his suggestion was to make it a stage show and a musical. And uh, we wrote that together and that came out great. And that's been done all over the world and uh, just really, really fun. And um, and I, when I did the stage adaptation of the first nudie musical, I brought David in to help with that because I was too close to, you know, to tunnel vision to make it mm -hmm. a stage well, one good thing about the fact that we don't have identical backgrounds and Bruce being an actor and um, I went to film school and took classes on uh, writing and Bruce it comes to it more naturally um, is uh, Bruce has a real ear for dialogue and rhythm because he knows, you know, I, nobody can say that line. I have to change it, make it, you know, something I can say. And my background was really strong with structure and three three acts, and I know that was like probably torture for you, Bruce. But you know, <laughs> but but I was always about yeah, but you know, this is the structure of Act Two and and so forth. So it was kind of a good. We really brought different um, different uh, sensibilities to it. Yeah, that sounds exactly the way Dylan and I work. I, I have really wild ideas and then I throw them at Dylan constantly. And he's like, no, this has to be structured properly. And this has to actually be like a story. And, you know, then that's why this kind of show started because, you know, it's like, oh, how, how do you put this down into something that is an actual story? Um, but I will say that the, the faculty, when that came out, uh, I just graduated high school. I started working on Blockbuster Video, and that was a movie that hit me at such a time that made me want to create things. And that, I will say that that was one of the pushing forces to start making movies because I just I did not understand up until that time. It's like, how did this come together? And so uh, I was very happy that you guys said yes to interview because I just want to say thank you very much for e even just inventing something that really pushed my life down down a course. But for you gentlemen, what was what was the inciting thing that made you decide I need to create something or I need to be involved in this process as opposed to being a doctor or anything else? Well, let's see. We and that's going to be another difference in our backgrounds. My father was in show business. He was a musician. He performed and um, recorded albums. And so I grew up with uh, creative uh, parents, and it was it, it, I, it was always around me. And so they gave me a tape recorder when I was ten years old, and a movie camera when I was twelve. And um, I used to collaborate on writing comic books with my friends, and I was encouraged a lot. And I my the main thing for me was realizing because m most of our work is in comedy actually as opposed to horror uh making people laugh and getting that that instant feedback that that you have the 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 power to, to write or create something that's going to make people 
laugh, that's instant feedback and gratification. So um, just being a, a lo loving movies and, uh, and, and being kind of uh, growing up in that process. That was it for me. Yeah, I, I uh, did not have the parents uh, David had. I had non-supportive uh, uh, parents who could give a crap about uh, show business, <clears throat> wanted me to be a lawyer. But from the time I was four, I knew what I wanted to do. And, and at that point, it was be an actor. But I really wanted to do everything. I made, I remember, they, they had live uh, kitty show hosts when I grew up, you know, who were on TV every day live, Sheriff John and Junior Bill. And I, I remember making a, a camera, a TV camera, out of my father's shirt cardboards that were in his shirts and walk carrying cardboard camera on the street and filming myself without film <laughs> and pretending <laughs> I was on TV. I did that from when I was six years old on. And uh, and, and, and I just was very single-minded about it and uh, lucked out. I, you know, you, you, a certain amount of luck to get a job as an actor uh, to begin with, to start your career. I had done theater arts at, at Los Angeles City College and went to live in New York to be a Broadway star and didn't do anything for a year and came back and got seen in a play. I did a play and got seen by an actress named Shelley Morrison, who was on The Flying Nun at the time. And uh, she loved me and she brought me to her agent. And uh, the week after that, I was testing for leading the pilot and I never looked back. And I worked for 12 years straight as an actor and then made this movie. Uh, but my parents never took any of it seriously until I was on the Merv Griffin show. Hmm. That, that <laughs> my mother said, Merv Griffin, you've made it. <laughs> so when I was on the, that, that was Merv. Merv was responsible for my parents. And my father, I remember my mother had died and my father came to see, because if she hadn't died, seeing the first Nitty Musical would have caused her death. Um, my father came to see the, a sneak preview of the first Nitty Musical and he brought this actor, wonderful actor named Arthur O'Connell, who was a major character actor in the 50s and 60s. And uh, he could not believe the reaction to this movie, the laughs and everything. He came out and he said, you made this? Because he, he's a Jew, you know. He said, you made this. And, uh, and Arthur O'Connell was very uh, offended by the entire movie. So that was good. <laughs> Two successes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, did you guys, have you guys worked on a series together? Like a, like a television series together as well? I, I was going through your credits, but I was trying to like, kind of link them both together. Yeah. Uh, well... We worked on uh, one of the um, early, well, one of the first shows on Fox when Fox became a network called Totally Hidden Video. And it was uh, a hidden camera show, which kind of brought back the whole genre of, kind of was at the start of reality TV. And um, our job was to make it funnier because um, a lot of the stuff that the, 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 the people out in the field shooting uh, could, would be dull or, you know, it's, it's hidden camera shows. It's, it's not like you've come back with gold from what you shoot and then has to be crafted and it's all in the editing and post-production. And so we would add all sorts of layers of parody and, and uh, uh, kind of crazy, you know, um, things to it to, to make it funnier. And um, I think we've worked on a couple of reality shows together. 
because I, 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 I worked on a lot of reality TV. Yeah, David brought me into Total In Video because they were up against the wire for the first show, I remember. And a lot of it just wasn't the, the other people, not David, mm -hmm. the other people <laughs> were doing work wasn't that funny. And David was having to save every bit uh, because it, we, we, we found out he, anyway, he brought me in, said, can you cut one bit? You have to come in now at nine o'clock at night and you'll work all night and you'll cut the bit. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but sure, I'll come. So I went to Premore, which was in North Hollywood, and he handed me all this footage. It was on VHS, right? Or Betamax or Three-quarter three inch. <laughs> sat me down with an editor. He said, just watch it and make a thing. And he told me what the show was about. And I, you know, I spent like five hours making a thing out of it. And the, he came in and he loved what I had done because I scored it with music. It was about a, a bunch of football players having to wear tutus, I think. And, uh, you know, so I scored it with Swan Lake uh, Ballet and the producer of the show came down and loved the bit. He said, well, uh, can you do the show? And they offered me a full time job. And David and I did that for a long time. But we, we found out it was all in the voiceovers. That's where we were able to really make Thing. He wasn't going to do that, was he? And then they would do that, you know. So it it's all the setup. Setup. Set it's, mm -hmm. it, it's setting up something that's about to happen, and that's what makes it funny. And we were, I, I think David and I were responsible for that show being a hit. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to look at it because uh, the other people who were doing what we were doing always needed help. We always had to. Come in and rewrite the voice. I remember I did the scratch voiceovers before the host would come in, and they would always tell the host, whichever host, and we went through three or four, but whichever host they would say, Bruce it. Because <laughs> I had a certain way of, of doing the voiceovers that was funny. And uh, but we had we had fun on that show, except when certain other producers came in. Then it wasn't fun. Uh, and I won't. I won't mention their names, except it was the first name of Kevin Williams. So I was one of them. Have obviously the entire industry has gone through a lot of changes in the past five years, even. Um, have you guys found that there's one particular change that's either been really difficult to tackle or really uh, rewarding to kind of roll with? If, if there's any major difference between writing for just traditional television versus streaming or anything like that. Well, with technology, um, well, one of the good things, I think, uh, not for um, us personally, but for uh, other creators out there is <clears throat> YouTube and, uh, you know, TikTok, all these avenues where people anywhere in the country or the world can have a platform. I mean, we, you know, we, we made our student films and it, it was like tr a lot of work to try to work your way into the industry, which was so limited. Now, I think uh, th there was probably always a lot of talent out there that didn't get discovered. And now I think that these new platforms um, help. Um, one thing that I think is not as good is um, with TV, uh, as technology advances, uh, they just keep cutting the budget and cutting uh, people out of the process. So now the poor beleaguered editors, they're not just trying to, you know, tell a story. They've got to do the effects and they've got to do the, you know, um, music. They have to be, they have to know, do, do things that we used to be like six people would do. And, and for me, um, I usually get hired as a showrunner. It just assumes I'm going to be executive producer. I'm going to write it. I'm going to direct it. 
and that's three jobs also. So, um, you know, uh, somehow with, with uh, nonlinear editing and, and the capabilities of technology, rather than that making it easier, it just keeps squeezing it, squeezing the process down to faster, fewer people working harder. Yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Luddite in certain ways, but I embrace what's put in front of me that I have to do. So when the pandemic hit, uh, I had been doing a series of cabaret shows in Los Angeles for 10 years, uh, every month, one a month, uh, which is nuts. But uh, we had to start doing them online, and I had been watching these live things, live stream things online. And I said, who would ever want to watch that shit? I'm sorry, crap. Uh, who would ever want to see something with that quality on Zoom and they with that sound and the hiccups and the, you know, the stuttering and the things. So I took the time to figure out how to do it. And uh, we went on and we did seven or eight live shows, uh, live stream shows, except they weren't live, I filmed them. Uh, so uh, that's what I figured out. I said, you know, they'll look like they're on Zoom. Mm -hmm. They'll look like, it'll all look like that. But in reality, none of it's live. You know, it's all shot. And then I wrote an original musical specifically to be streamed that takes place on Zoom. Looks like it takes place on Zoom, except that we filmed it. We had them put their little phone cameras next to the uh, computer camera. And I was there on Zoom. We did, we were on Zoom so I could see what they were doing and see the angle and everything. And I directed and wrote this thing and it just came out. David watched it and it came out great. And everybody, I had the biggest film music agent in the world call me and he said, I don't know how you figured out this technology to do this like live like that. How, when they went in the other room, what did you, and I said, what do you think? I got somebody <laughs> with a bank of monitors live switching. I said, all filmed. And then I have a wonderful editor. I did, you worked with Marshall, yes? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I have this wonderful editor, Marshall Harvey, who uh, is an, uh, Joe Dante's regular editor. He did The Burbs. Oh, God. Okay. the movie. Anyway, I've been working with him since the early 80s, and uh, he edited it, and um, and I just did one, another project in the same way, which is a thriller that takes place on Zoom, which is about a group of actors reading a thriller <laughs> on, on Zoom. And mayhem ensues. And so that it was just been fun to figure out how to do it and have it look like it's what it is, but not be what, you know, have mm -hmm. professional, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Because if you've seen any of these Zoom things, I mean, I watch them and I can't watch them. I mean, and I've been, you know, they have these live uh, Zoom stream things for the Partridge family. And they asked me to come on and talk about the Partridge family. And, I, you know, you freeze and you, you know, if you don't have, if you're not hardwired into the computer, you're screwed. You know, if it's your work on Wi-Fi, it just doesn't react. Well, mm -hmm. I guess it helps in that regard a little bit. But, boy, if you're doing it on Zoom, no, and you're not hardwired. So that's my so, answer. No. <laughs> it's a perfect answer. Uh, David, what is your favorite form of media to work on? Is it movies or is it like a television or reality show styles? Well, they have their own um, advantages. I really enjoy both, uh, all these uh, different um, outlets for different reasons. 
TV, it's really fun to um, have deadlines and put stuff out and get and get it right on the air and have people enjoy it right away. Um, but uh, movies, I mean, if you know, if, if I could uh, sell another movie and, and you know, even direct one, I would love it because that's where you really can work, you know, with the actors and the camera and shooting, you know, sing, single camera and take your time with the editing. So um, TV is exhilarating, and you can. I have a lot, a lot of um, work now in, um, that that. Uh, a body of work that I've produced um, way more than if I just stayed in movies, but having a movie out and, and seeing people at a theater gap or laugh at something that you wrote or directed that that's the best. It is. And I, I would live in movies. I would live in movies if that were the world, but the world is crazy right now. So it's hard to live. There's too many cooks in the movies. And, uh, but you know, if we were, if we were 12, you know, we might get a movie deal. Uh, but we're not 12. So, um, but I, I, you know, I go back and forth between, uh, you know, I love film and I love theater. So, you know, and I've worked in both regularly. So it would be fun to write. Let's write another movie, David, because the year we wrote the faculty, I have to, my, my expression was it was raining money. That year. <laughs> not, enough money. It just, Every time I would turn, in other words, they, I'll, I'll give you the, the pricey of this. Uh, every time they turned, we turned around, uh, they optioned the film, the option lapsed, they had to re-option it. Then Robert, yeah. Robert, our deal was a three-tiered deal so that if the budget were $10 million and under, we got the low amount. If it was 10 to 15, we got a middle amount. And if it was 15 to 20, we got the big amount. And as soon as Robert Rodriguez came on, I called David. I said, we're getting the big amount. There's no way he's doing this for less than 20. And uh, we did. And then they realized uh, much, much later, before the film came out, that they hadn't offered us the rewrite, which they have to do, according to the Writers Guild. You know, not that we have to accept, but they have to offer it to us. So they had to pay us off for that. <laughs> and then when they asked to arbitrate, they offered us some low amount of money. And I said, absolutely not, because we'd make more in residuals if we had a screenplay credit. There was no guarantee we would. <clears throat> but that we said, just keep going up. And they went up quite a bit where it was worth our while. So it was just every time we turned around, there was big checks arriving. And I, we need another year like that. I mean, David. Well, go, go to sleep, get another idea, wake up with another idea, and let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, had a, we have had and have a great idea that we've never finished doing. We've written some of it, but it's kind of brilliant. Uh, but it's for TV. Uh, it's okay. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> we won't. Uh, well, d please don't, don't. That's fine. Sa save it. We want you guys to have one of those great years again. Uh, obviously, we could talk to you guys forever. We don't want to take up all of your time. Uh, I have uh, literally a billion questions. You guys have helped sculpt how my life has gone. So I could easily sit here with you guys all day and pick your brain because you are literally sitting where Dylan and I are trying to sit. So uh, thank you guys for your time. And we're going to get on to the next part of our show, if that's okay with you, Dylan. Yeah, works for me. All right, cool. So gentlemen, what we do now is uh, Dylan and I, we have constant ideas. We text back and forth uh, and we got tired of picking which one to work on. So that's why we have our guests choose now. 
Um, last week, uh, my idea was chosen, which was the idea about uh, ants that choose humans to be a god and then force other <laughs> humans uh, to, to try to destroy other anthills. Uh, Dylan, do you want to pitch yeah. your idea to, uh, to our friends? Yeah, so I'm going to recycle the one I had last week, um, which is kind of fitting because you guys were really active in the 90s. Um, I don't have a whole lot for it, but the idea is that like some sort of organization takes over a shopping mall in the 90s and forces all of the sh all the store employee groups to fight each other in like a Hunger Games style thing. And then there's probably some part where they like band together to overtake like Die Hard in a shopping mall, but with groups of employees so like the shoe store. People are working with the video rental place are working with the janitorial people to like move through the vents and take back the mall or something like that. Set it in the early nineties, get really kind of like really exaggerated with it. And um, I don't have anything beyond that. So we've got plenty of work to do on that one. Zach. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's a good idea. I also like it being an outdoor strip mall for some reason, but yeah, nineties inside of a regular mall, I think is very, very cool. Uh, Foot Locker, those kids were always so buff for some reason. Um, okay. So the idea that I would like to work on is I had this idea for a person that lives in a very large apartment complex or a very large, uh, just some kind of complex with a lot of people in it. They invent uh, this uh, device that can read thoughts and they just start taking in all the thoughts from the entire apartment. And there are two main thoughts that get brought up. One is a thought of the e exact same invention this person just made. And the other is uh, uh, that they just killed somebody in, in that building. So it, there's some kind of, uh, I have this weird idea for an invention that reads thoughts inside of a lot of people and they have to work out the paranoia in there. So I'm, I'm just going to call it a, apartment complex paranoia for right now <laughs> if that's okay uh apartment okay so uh gentlemen we don't want to decide one of these two things uh so pretty please if you wouldn't mind which one of these two weird ideas would you like us to work on i'll let david go first all right well i, I like them both they definitely have uh and and again it's not like we weren't influenced by previous uh, movies. So they have shades of uh, uh, George Romero uh, in, in shopping mall uh, zombie movies, which were great. Um, I, I could see a little bit of Hitchcock and uh, rear window and the apartment one. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to vote for the uh, apartment thought readers because um, I didn't hear in the hunger games one really what the, motivation was what was really behind um now it's a it's a great um setting and i'm sure you could solve it but i feel like i could i could kind of see i think it's already a little further along in terms of um the you know, what's behind it with, with the uh, apartment story cool awesome thank you mr kimmel any feedback on these stories yes they're both uh fun what what works about both of them is the setting You've got you've solved a good part of this because where you set things is really important. Uh, so I I, I I I sort of agree with David about the mall, which is a great setting. The '90s is great. All of that is great. What's not great for me is the Hunger Games. Uh, what's great for me would be is if you came up with a better idea for uh, what would happen within this mall in the '90s. And I think there's something there, whether it's horror or comedy or whatever, but it's a perfect setting 
for a movie, but so is an apartment complex because you're very insular. You don't have to go outside. And I love movies like Rear Window <laughs> that do where you're never outside of that apartment, you know, of, of uh, his apartment. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, they're both good, but I, I sort of agree with David about the apartment complex being a, having an interesting way to go that's a little more thought out. I would just I would keep working on the apart uh, the uh, mall idea. However. Sure, <laughs> I would, would switch yeah. games because we've had the hunger games. Oh yeah, you I think we've. We very rarely uh, throw an idea out entirely. I don't know if I can't think of any, but it'll come back at some point with a little more meat behind it. Yeah, I think there just needs to be an inciting reason why they're all fighting each other, which I, I completely agree with. But gentlemen, I thank you. You made the correct decision. My idea is superior once again. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go with apartment complex paranoia. See no. where this thing goes, um, gentlemen. Before we get working on this creative process, is there anything you would like our viewers uh, around the world to watch, to see, to go, to buy, anything at all? Wow. Well, I think your show is great because uh, you're you're going to let people in on the process, and um, uh, you know I think uh, you know I think it's very cool. Um, as far as what to go out and buy, no, I mean I don't really have anything to promote at the moment. Bruce, do you? You know, by buy, do you mean like what what movies to watch for inspiration or? Uh... I mean, if you want to sell one of your movies, if you if you want to inspire people, if you have a product <laughs> you like to sell, <laughs> uh, you know, you can buy the first nudie music on Blu-ray. You can buy Midnight Madness on. I don't think it's on Disney mm -hmm. Blu-ray, David. I think I think if here's what I think we will agree on, Bruce. If you and can lead your viewers in a letter writing campaign to um, to uh, bring back the faculty either as a sequel or a remake. That we, we, yeah. We'd really be behind that. We would, we'll get more checks. Yes, we would be very, very much behind us. And I have to tell you, David and I, they did come to us for a sequel. And we came up with the best sequel. And we pitched it over the phone to, to the Weinstein, Weinsteins and uh, whoever the producers were of the first one. And after we pitched it, we were so proud of ourselves and we pitched it brilliantly. And I think it was Harvey who got, who got on the speakerphone and said, boys, it's great, but we're looking for two people in a room. <laughs> Meaning low budget. Low budget. So we, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> did, did your remake have scat in it? No. Okay. <laughs> Good. Very Good, perfect. Very, it was very. Uh, okay. Gentlemen. And I don't remember what it was, but it was clear. <laughs> uh, well, we will keep pushing people to make a remake of The Faculty or uh, anything. I would like to see a streaming service or at least a series oh. of like The Faculty. I was, it was a very cool thing. Like I, I love high school aliens. It's very cool. Um, okay. So, gentlemen, like I said, I know and I appreciate your time. If you have to go throughout this process at all, uh, not a problem. But we are going to spend the next little bit of time trying to take this and turn this into whatever it is. Uh, before we get going, though, we do have some people to thank. So, number one, we want to thank International Broadcast Media Television for having us on here. Dylan is my best friend, and I appreciate you guys having us on here and letting me have a chance to vent at him and let him uh, answer to all my texts that he refused to respond to. Uh, scene Snobs, you guys are awesome 
awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. It was so amazing for me. So uh, if you're watching this and you don't know Scene Snobs, go check them out. Uh, we have Behind the Bits podcast, which is an awesome podcast about how things work behind comedians and a lot of things. So you can always go to our Patreon to check it out. Patreon.com backslash some nobodies. Ah, uh, Dylan Terry. Yeah, here we are. Okay, so we got to work this thing out. Now, do you yeah. think that this thing is like a movie? Do you see this as a singular story? Is this a series so far? Uh, wh- wh- how, how do you, what do you think this is? So the two main drives that I'm seeing that you pitched right now is that he's got this device that reads minds and it has somehow picked up that someone has committed a murder and also someone has the idea for the exact same device. So I'm seeing this as a, probably a movie. It doesn't feel like there's a long story to that unless we come up with something that would fit which i'm sure there's something that we could put in there but right now i'm seeing more of a limited format um did you have any sort of like pre-thoughts when you came up with this no i i had those two ideas i had the idea that somebody was inventing the same exact uh, idea and then i also had that a murder was just done and they had to solve it and i don't know uh gentlemen this is actually a very good question when creating a process wh- when do you decide what ideas to keep and what ideas to ditch i i mean i think you could get you know you, more time than you have in this uh broadcast but you could uh spend a day on one direction and another day on another. And then just as you talk it through and go through the beats and the possibilities, it'll hopefully come apparent that one of them really is going to be more fruitful. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you've actually worked a project in, in two different ways and merge them or seeing which one works better. Well, you're, you're at such an early stage. This is just the brainstorming stage. It's not the time to censor and lock yourselves mm-hmm. down. I think, uh, you know, I mean, if it were Bruce and me, we'd probably spend a few days just knocking out ideas and it might go in different directions and writing everything down. And the, either you're going to hit on something that both makes both of yours, uh, your eyes light up or, or it'll just be that one is clearly a, a stronger path. Cool. So, okay. So Dylan, I think that the, obviously the stronger one, which if we're going to try to work in a, a timeline would be the invention of the invention. I think that's more interesting. Okay. Bruce, do you agree that that's a more interesting storyline than a murder? Uh, yeah, probably. If, if that's what you're trying to, if that's the hook of the film. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just go down that way for a yeah. second. Um, and I think that it makes sense that this is a singular story. So we'll just work on a regular timeline. Uh, and I guess the idea is that this person that lives in a very cramped space with a lot of people invents a, a device that yeah, can just channel thoughts. And the it's, thought is that there's... So- it's like an ambient like thought skimmer, right? Like it just kind of pulls and... Dis- I'm imagining it kind of like just pulling surface thoughts from people's minds in like a proximity, which is why this apartment complex works for this kind of ideas. Like, so he gets... I don't know. I'm seeing like a, a kind of as like a very lo-fi kind of thrown together tech thing where it prints off either a display or one of those old school printer sheets of just like maybe coordinates and then the thought it pulled from it. And maybe it uses like a like a collection of vocabulary words he pre-programmed. So he has to interpret each thought as to what it means. So that way there's a yeah. little less, it's not so sure as to what these thoughts actually are, but it's more, he's like, well, this, I guess that kind of sounds like he's trying to invent this as well. And yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. So 
were you seeing the main character as the person who invented this or is that kind of like are we doing a um marty mcfly doc thing where it's like the young character and then their mentor is the one who invented it and he comes to him with the problem where it's like listen don't worry about how this happened but i invented the machine that can read thoughts take a look at this what do you think this means and the kid is just kind of like thrown out of his element immediately I mean, that, I think that's cool, but ha the idea for some reason of somebody that can think uh, of the exact same thing at the exact same time. So they both have the, the idea that the other one made this thing in this uh, apartment complex. But also, I think there should be a lot of thoughts going on. So I, I don't know. Because if it is like an apartment complex or a cramped space, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things. But mm -hmm. I think the initial idea I had was that they thought or they 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 intercepted a thought of the same thing that they made. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. But I really don't know where that story can go, though, unless they have to find that person. So maybe uh, there there has to be a, a timeline. Um, okay. So we have to build in some kind of clock system in here to get the story moving, right? Yeah. Uh, it would it would be nice to have a ticking clock. What if what if it didn't identify who had what thoughts, but it, it was just like someone was sure that they were going to like commit a murder. And then somehow you work in the idea that someone has a concurrent thought for this. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking almost along the lines of like, what if this thing, I don't know if it could imprint thoughts into people or like somehow sway it based on like, I don't know. That might be getting yeah. too far into <laughs> theoretical stuff for what this device is yeah uh bruce when coming up with ideas uh, uh you can obviously get stuck in a situation where you're like this is a really cool setting uh, exactly the same thing as that shopping mall murder um when you get to a place where you're like i i know that i like this idea uh what what is your process on sitting in that world like what do, do you spend time thinking about it do you keep writing down ideas like what, what do you do inside that world to to maybe push that story well for david and I, I we just talk we just talk and talk and talk and out of that talk and he literally sits at his computer writing everything we say down and some of it is junk and some of it is gold you know and you, you'll know the gold when you hit it but this idea see to me you have an idea, you have an invention, and through this invention, you have uh, maybe the first 20 pages of, of, of your story is fun, is, oh, I can read these thoughts. Oh, my mm -hmm. God, right. the guy in apartment 201 is thinking, oh, my God, he wants to sleep with that girl. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. And that's fun. And then 20 pages in, you start the plot rolling, which is, oh my God, this guy is going to commit a murder, which is a really good hook. And it gives yeah. you a ticking clock because he's going to do it at this time. Okay. One really so, cool yeah. thing, uh, you know, one great thing about, you know, the settings is if it was like a, a singles apartment complex, you know, where the, everyone goes out to the pool and, or there's a, some kind of like a mixer, you know, barbecue. And even just because your character can read other people's thoughts, he doesn't know whose thoughts he's reading. So looking at all these people out by the pool and he knows, you know, trying to match up, you know, who they are with what they're thinking. It's probably something everybody could identify with. 
I agree. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe let's just kind of push that invention part into the background as far as like knowing somebody else inventing and push the murder up forward. So I think that is more tense. Um, now, David, when writing a story and, and you, you work on structure, now, do you always go to a three arc structure or do you kind of let the story start telling itself? What's your process in creating like the, the story? I don't think I would impose the structure on it at this point yet. I would just keep thinking of great ideas and hooks and um, conflicts. And then, at, uh, uh, but maybe, you know, after the, you know, after you kind of brainstormed a lot and you start to put together what comes first, second, third, you want to make sure that you basically have those kind of cliffhanger uh, moments at the end of each act. Cool. Yeah, that's Bruce is right. Okay. The, first, the first 20 minutes is, I mean, it you know, it can have all sorts of fantasy and humor and fun stuff before the, you know, the, 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 the main thing comes in to make it serious. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Uh, now, okay, Dylan, where, where do you see, okay, so we're, we're, I like the idea of working out the fun thoughts in the beginning and keeping it very light, and then uh, about 20-ish pages in, that's when you get the knowledge that there is a murder about to happen. I think, mm -hmm. uh, right, it's about to happen. It hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah. And, and then there's all that tense scene of trying to figure out who it is. Uh, I also like the idea of having there to be like a mixer. So setting it around a holiday would actually make a lot of sense. And if you want to keep it all inside, uh, outside of COVID, we could set it around like a Thanksgiving or like a Christmas. And that way there's like all those big gatherings inside and those things. Do you? Well, that way you could have the weather. If it's in like December, you can have the weather be crap. I mean, if we need a reason to keep people inside, you can have the weather be not great. So that way you have a real, real insular, like pressure cooker situation almost. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm guessing he doesn't know who is going to be murdered either. Correct. So that way, that way it doesn't lead to that situation where it's like, well, why don't they, he doesn't just tell them to leave. Um, and I'm wondering, I know the idea was that he invents this, but I'm wondering if he didn't like steal this somehow. Where it's like, where did you get this? It's like, don't worry about that. And then that way we can have some sort of out external problem of like, well, someone's probably looking for this and then have them show up at an inopportune time. Okay, cool. Um, so when, okay, so David, when creating a story, uh, how often do you skip ahead to the end to understand where you're trying to get to? Or do you just let the story kind of roll on itself? Um, I, I, you definitely don't have to write it to me in a linear way. You could jump to the end if you want. I mean, just off the top of my head, I was thinking, you know, the end of act one is when, uh, the protagonist realizes someone's going to get murdered. He doesn't know who is the victim or the murderer. Then act two is all about finding them and trying to stop it. And then the end of act two, you want to really have some big twist where either the, the, that murder does happen and now that person's after the protagonist or it turns out there's a lot more to it than he thought. But, um, I, you know, it, it's, I don't think it's a problem at this point just to keep thinking of fun set pieces and, 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 and details. Now, uh, before, before Dylan, you, yeah, Dylan, using that, uh, do you think that, uh, say that we, we throw that other idea back into it, that there is that other invention going out and mm -hmm. say that these two people 
uh, are having roughly the same thought process where they're like, I think that I got to kill this person, uh, but they only have like the last thought that it is like a murder situation. So they're kind of both looking for each other. Do you think there's something in that? Because I'm, try- I'm trying to find a way to, to throw the murder into it and, and look at the end. Like, why is this person murdering somebody? Which means that they would probably be murdering the person uh, with the invention, I guess. Right? I, I don't know if you need that level of cat, if we want that level of cat and mouse on this. Um, okay. I think, I think the threat that somehow the murderer figures out I like the idea that the murder go like happens that they pre- don't prevent it or something. And then somehow the person with the device comes into the murderer's sights. And suddenly you have the situation where you are reading that thought without knowing who it is. And there's that paranoia to it. Um, okay. I don't know. So why, why is this person being murdered? Bad day. Um, someone, uh, they're, they're playing their music too loud or, um, they have like a loud dog. I, I, okay. So so it's it's not any reason. The reason reason is irrelevant. Uh, that's the MacGuffin as Alfred Hitchcock would say Mm -hmm. really doesn't matter. Okay. So it doesn't matter. There's just a murder going to happen. Yeah. Awesome. I think so. So, Yeah. I like the idea of like the second act ending with the actual murder and then there being, uh, I guess, a bit of a question of uh, who it is. And then is there like, so we either, we keep getting the ideas from the machine and, uh, okay, actually, this is a very good time to stop. We're the one hour in. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Rector and Mr. Kimmel, we want to thank you guys very, very much for hanging out. Uh, this has been awesome. We're going to continue to work on this for the next half an hour uh, after we kind of pitch and you know, uh, 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 pay the bills or whatever it is. But we want to thank you guys so, so much for hanging out with us. And really, honestly, like this movie, uh, The Faculty, meant a lot to me. The Penn and Teller show is very, very funny. Uh, I like everything that you guys do, and I am such a fan of you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for hanging out. And we, uh, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us. It really does mean a lot. It's our pleasure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you so much. And, yep. And you guys can go ahead and leave the studio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. So Dylan, oh. we have uh, obviously IBM TV to thank you, to thank yeah. for this. We have scene snobs to thank for this. We have uh, uh, Scott Curtis to thank for this. We have Sarah Takachik and Tanya Sheck, uh, mm-hmm. listener app to thank for this. We have Maria Daniels and all of her cool stuff to thank for this. Um, a lot of people. It, it, we have a lot, a lot of people. people at, a lot of people helping us out here. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I wanted to take a second. Uh, uh, obviously, this interview meant uh, a lot to me. This movie meant a lot to me when I was younger. And uh, it, it's cool to see that uh, we took this very weird idea uh, months and months ago. And now we're talking to people that actually make things and, uh, and they're even helping us kind of create stuff. It's, yeah. it's a very, very cool and, and emotional moment. And, uh, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate yeah. it. Man. No, I appreciate is, you, Zach. You, you, uh, cool. you know, I, I work best in a team, I think. And you, so far, you're the only person I've ever tried to work with who has like stuck with it and really kept it going. So yeah, right back at you, and brother. And it's really cool to see a team like David and, and uh, 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 Bruce and, and how they work and how they continue to work and how fond their memories were. I mean, they wrote the faculty back in the 80s. That is like yeah. so, so cool to me. And they have such great fond memories of making something that wasn't even what was made. 
and and that that just puts so much like uh power into me like uh, at some point, man, in like 15, 20 years, we're going to look back and say, hey, remember when we wrote that thing? That was so cool. And it yeah. sucks that it wasn't how we wanted it, but whatever. That was cool. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, I, did, I didn't realize how emotional this, this conversation is going to make me. But uh, they're great friends. They make great stuff. Uh, and thank you for being my friend. Uh, so let, let's, let's get back into this yeah. real fast. Uh, we have a little bit of time left. So, uh, Dude, they really helped us out with like uh, kind of yeah. coming up. With, Who would have guessed they knew what they were talking about? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Okay, so uh, I like the idea that the first act works out. Um, we can always throw some weird stuff into there. Oh yeah. Uh, the second act, we're at the the looking, the finding, uh, yeah. the, the 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 frantic pace of interacting with people and uh, trying to guess who's doing it. I'm, um, I'm starting to see this as really darkly comedic. Like, the idea of yeah, having a barbecue, and the main character is, like, pr- asking probing questions and trying to identify who the murderer is or who will be. Do we yeah, wanna, and, like... Go ahead. Do we want to draw attention to them as... You were asking a lot of weird questions at the barbecue. Do we want to, like, do that kind of thing where eventually it does come down to just having a like these people getting in a room together and one of them starting to, and him just coming clean. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really cool thing. Cause I mean, obviously if nobody knows who the murderer is, anyone asking questions beforehand is going to look creepy. So I think that's a really good thing. Do you want to talk about the person who is murdered? Obviously it doesn't matter so much why they were murdered, but, uh, or do you want to work out what this ho- the apartment complex uh, thing is? I mean, why don't we just name some fun character th- concepts we could think of who would live in? Like, I'm imagining it as kind of the apartment, and I do this a lot. It's it's become kind of the archetype for this story that I like is um, the apartment complex from Kung Fu Hustle. One of those where it has like, or not nothing else has to be similar to that movie. Say it, Lady in the Water. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. Actually, that was exactly what I was gonna say. Um, yeah, I know. Like, a, a communal, a communal kind of like U-shaped building with a central courtyard with like like, like a pool, yeah, yeah, or like a yeah. yeah. Now, do you want, do you want to set this in a winter thing, or do you want to set this so that we can use the out the outside outside? Let's let's make it set during. Well, the only issue with setting it during like a snowstorm would be the getting everybody together. But if we do it during like. I don't, I don't want to set it during COVID, um, but let's just let's just never acknowledge that people leave. Let's just you know, it's like yeah, it's the middle of summer. Maybe it's Fourth of July and they're having like a cookout. We can make it a Fourth oh. of July movie. Um, that way we could have we could have that uh, scene where the fireworks sync up with and cover the noise of something <laughs> awful happening. No yeah, relation I, to the I, quiet place. It's sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so on your brain right now. Uh, okay, it's so fine. character archetypes. Who who lives yeah. in this apartment? Um, so I'm seeing. Let's see, young unmarried Obviously, couple with a bunch of dogs. Yep, I like that. Unmarried couple. Um, someone who works uh, like the last, like late shift. Someone who is like sleeping during the day and works at night. Graveyard shift. I like that. Obviously, the single mother mm-hmm. or father with like a couple kids. Single parent with children. 
Single parent. Um, large family. Yeah. It's like they got like uh, five kids in there. It's like they have the they have the largest apartment in the complex because they have five children who are in middle school. They need the space. <laughs> yep. Um, does the land does the uh, complex owner ever show up? Uh, no, but the super's there. Okay. Like the the the, the handyman guy. Yeah. The, the what are they? The, not the super. The maintenance. The, uh, maintenance person. Yeah. Um, Let's see. You also have the old, the old happy couple, the elderly. Yep. Happy elderly couple. Um, I like, I like the idea of having some sort of like crazy prepper and everybody's teasing them because they're in an apartment complex. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, when, when the lights go out, don't come bashing down my door for my supplies. Yeah, love that. Uh, and I'm college. trying to think of some red herring characters that can be blamed for this that aren't actually the perpetrator. Okay. You know uh, what I mean? Maybe this. Yeah, maybe there's like uh, some college kids that like sell drugs. They're stoners, right? college stoners. Yeah. Yeah, like just like they they sell like Adderall and stuff, but like then, uh, to, to like the old to the elderly couple, they're like, well, the drug dealers maybe did senior it. citizen deadhead. <laughs> sure. Yeah, why not? I don't know. Is that the happy couple or is that just another another group? Um I like the idea that the happy couple are like empty nesters finally. Like, oh yeah, you know, our adult children finally moved out, so we're going to try getting wild with the youth. And then maybe, you know, we have their friendship with the senior citizen deadhead and the college stoners. Because that way that way this whole place feels tight knit. Yeah. Uh okay, so who who dies? Um I've already grown attached to so many of these ideas. Um, I know. I, I like. I like most of them. Well, a lot uh, of them have baggage, which means that this is going to be an effect, like a a, a weighty murder. Yeah. Uh, I would unless, say, unless, unless we create somebody else for this. Right. Uh, do we want? How sympathetic do we want the murder victim to be? Obviously, uh, some level so that it's investigated, right? I, I, yeah, I'm gonna say that they're a very tight knit group. I think it makes sense that yeah. they they need to care, but also like, do they call the cops? I, I mean, yes, <laughs> I think so. Right. At a certain cool. point, um, maybe the prepper, because that way people don't notice immediately. Yeah, I, 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 like, that was my that was my initial thought was the prepper. I'm seeing because we get the thought that a murder is going to be committed. We don't. We only ever hear about the prepper, and then we get the thought that he reads the thought that the murder has happened. And mm -hmm. so he's trying to figure out who's not showing up. And then it eventually leads to them knocking on the door, the prep guy. And maybe that's what initially draws the murders, murderer's attention to the main character. Cool. I like that. Um, do we want to figure out who the murderer is? Yeah. Um, now this, this could be, obviously it's an accident. Um, so it needs to be somebody that is probably the least suspectable. Yeah. Right? So is this, was the prepper teaching some, well, if it's a murder though. So the, the thought is, the, so the thought is that, the, that the, the invention picks up the thought, oh no, I just murdered someone. Right? Or Maybe not even, I'm, oh no. Maybe it's like, 
because <laughs> like if if it needs to pick up a murder thought in the future, then it has to be a bit premeditated. It does need to be premeditated, I think. I think okay. that's a, yeah. a lot of the thrust for the first part. Um, so what I'm seeing, I'm seeing this device as printing off a sheet of paper with a bunch, maybe it has like neural signatures and then it has the attached thoughts to them. So it's like someone with the neural signature of someone something something just killed someone and then they have to, and it doesn't tell you who each signature belongs to. So that way okay. it's like you're trying to hunt down whoever the signature X24 a sigma is or something like that and it's like okay. well how do we figure that out well i mean i don't know we got to figure it out somehow are the main characters the college stoners who got this device from like their um hypothetical engineering friend at college no i kind of like this okay. person inventing it like i i, okay. I think that okay. that's kind of cool so yeah. uh maybe one of the college kids is an inventor and lives in the same room as yeah. or lives in the same apartment, so uh, I, I don't I don't think I like them stealing it. I don't I don't think okay. that's because that's a little bit more plot than we got. To, <laughs> we got to figure that out. Uh, so I, I like the idea of it being an invention. Cool. Uh, and, it, and, and let's just kind of like do the thing where we don't really go over the science of how it works. It just like we yeah. start with it working. It's like yeah. that's how it starts. Like oh my god, it works. I can read people's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. like all these college kids are like looking around uh and that way if it is one of the college uh other college kids that is a murderer that might make it kind of a, like a cooler uh twist yeah. because they'll be looking they'll be looking everywhere and not like at themselves yeah um so where do you want to work on next i think we should just i i like i like what um they suggest about just kind of at this point coming up with um set pieces Cool. So, like, right now, so I'm going to go through the synopsis that I have right now. It's a little bare bones, but I think that's going to help us kind of get our feet back under us. Yeah. Main character invents a thought-reading device, which prints out a list of just surface-level thoughts skimmed from people within its proximity, which is the apartment complex. The first bit is just mind-reading shenanigans. It's fun. It's light. And then we get the we get a thought. <clears throat> that someone is deciding to commit a murder against someone in the building. We don't know who is going to commit it. We don't know who it's against. Then uh, the main character attempts to identify who is who by holding mixers, a barbecue, uh, sort of comedy bits. Um, maybe we have a section of where it's like they go to the community organizer. Maybe there's a woman there who like is very into, there's always a new always a new event posted on a community bulletin board. And suddenly this character is showing a lot of interest in it. Um, so we get, you know, we have a mixture to identify who it is. And then a, uh, someone gets murdered and it's not immediately identified who until maybe let's see, maybe the prepper is a pretty easy one to identify because they're thinking about, you know, so-and-so is thinking about buying a, a, a survival or tactical bathtub or something like that. Um, it's like, well, I mean, no one else is going to be thinking about tactical bathtubs except Steve down in one a, and then that neural signature disappears. And it's like, well, it may not be important thoughts, but it picks up thoughts regardless. And this one just ceased. So somehow they contrived to like go down and check on them. No answer. Uh, it's been a few days. I think, I think we have a little time skip there and they finally get the door in. Uh, it's difficult because they're a prepper. Or do we want a red herring that? Do we want a red herring uh, the prepper? 
Someone disappears. And the pepper is uh, the the murderer. Or no, the pepper's murderer. not involved at all. The, oh, okay. Just, he... Pepper's not going out in public because they don't, and it's difficult to get in the apartment because they've barricaded, they've reinforced their door. Yeah, sure. That, I mean, that, that makes sense. It it, it yeah. works uh, um, story wise. Murder happens. They suspect the victim is the prepper, um, and then they have to find the murderer. Uh, because the thoughts change. Right. Um, so then they eventually try and get into the prepper's apartment and red herring it. Okay, like that. Cool with that. Um, so then we got to figure out who the murdered is and who. We, yeah. What if it's a couple? Uh, and we build up. So I have an idea. What if it's a couple? Either the the one of them murders the other, but we pepper in bits early on about one of them like going on a trip somewhere. Like they were intending to take a trip, they were okay. they had to go on a work trip or something like that. So that way, it's like you think it's a prepper for most of the movie getting murdered by someone who's irritated at him for maybe the super for reinforcing their door against their wishes or something, and then you find out they never went on the trip because they were murdered before they were supposed to leave. So people assume yeah. that disappearance was because they went on a trip. Perfect. Yeah, because they're like, well, it's obviously not them. They just left. We yeah. don't need to check on them and then blah, blah. All right, cool. So then that's the couple. Uh, and who do you think did it? I think, Grave- the, I think one of the couple... Graveyard, sh- graveyard shift guy because they're dogs? No, I think one of the couples... I think one of them murdered the oh, other. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, cool. Uh, okay, so what what happens from when we know that there is a murder until like roughly the end? So one of the college kids. Does, does the main they, I, I guess they call the cops, right? At that point, they probably call the cops. Um, yeah. Which is why I'm wondering if we shouldn't try and set it during like a huge snowstorm where it's like, well, they'll never get like everybody. We all know that there's a murderer here and the cops will never get here in time. Yeah. So we got to figure out who it is beforehand or yeah, something. Where, or, you know, where, where in the world is this? Philadelphia. Oof. Because of I was gonna water. Say... <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, only be, I'm imagining it as an urban environment where yeah. people are like, they know who their neighbors are, but they're not super involved in being neighborly. So it's not like the Midwest where you know your neighbors. Yeah. Because I was gonna say it would be a thing where, like, if there was a cop or like if 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 like a the the sheriff lived in the same building and oh. they're like, well, let's you know that way we can kind of like have a cop. Um, There's a cadet. There's a cadet living in the uh, in the apartment cool. complex. Love that. And it's like okay, he gets heckled by the college kids where it's like, hey, you going to fake that ID to trick some grocery store employees? You know, he gets heckled by like the college kids for being like a narc or something like that. Yeah. How old That's are cool. cadets? How old are police cadets? Uh, well, I, I mean, they're they're like between like nineteen and twelve. I mean, you could be obviously okay. any age, okay. but they're they're like right out of high school, uh, right out of college. Yeah. Um. So I say, let's see. Okay, so I, I like it being in weather. I, I like there being that. Stupid uh, external, like, 
well, they're not going to come for hours kind of thing. No. So maybe not July 4th, unless it's like a hurricane or something stupid. Um, I like it. Maybe Australia where it snows on the 4th of July. All right, cool. So this I don't know why they're celebrating the 4th of July in Australia. <laughs> it's an America themed <laughs> apartment complex. I think we're getting a little amazing. too wacky on that one. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. Um, I, I, I like it being, uh, I, I don't know about a like a big city. I like it being like an like an apartment complex, uh, similar to Lady in the Water, where it's kind of a little remote, um, yeah. like a small town apartment complex. Yeah, uh, that way things are harder. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm into that idea. So the couple gets murdered, which is is it a murder suicide? I don't think so. I think no. it's just. I think it's premeditated in some way. Maybe there's an inheritance or something. I don't know. We give them a superficial reason, but yeah, this way if we this way if um it's a blizzard they can cut the phone lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Uh, and you know we don't worry about the cell phone thing. Yeah, well this is probably set in nineties. Uh <laughs> we set it in, we set it in nineties because it's just easier. It's, it's just yeah. easier. To, like cell phones. <sighs> this they is a story writer. Cell phones kind of had a had a really dramatic effect on how stories were written and kind of portrayed because like what doesn't work with cell phones home alone die hard like those are, i mean most, those are, i'm naming two but m like most stories from before like most stories from pre-cell phone times would not work with the invention of cell phones yeah true Which, yeah because you easily just would just call somebody yeah uh so uh, but yeah, let's just say that uh, cell phones are whatever. I mean, if if it's weather and they call people, uh, unless you, you set it on a space station. No, well, you also get it. bad. No, you <laughs> no, get bad. You get bad service. Like services <laughs> shut off. Yeah, you know how like they say in Colorado, like oh, when when it's windy, the Wi-Fi messes up. You're like that's yeah. not a thing, but whatever. <laughs> it shakes all the uh, it shakes all the bars out of the uh, poles. Yeah, obviously. So we'll just do the same thing. This is heavy weather. Uh, blah blah. So okay, so. One of the married couple uh, is involved in a murder. What does the other one do? Something that does require travel during the holidays. Um, so they leave. Yeah, they're they're Wait. they are they're scheduled to leave, and they get okay. murdered the day that they were supposed to go. Which one is of the, them does, or they both do? I figure one of them. I figure it was one. Yeah member of the car murdering other. the other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and they cool. were scheduled to leave before the blizzard and they were killed as they were leaving. So that way they you know, their disappearance won't be noticed for like two weeks. Right. So what does the other partner do? Um not for a living, just like in this time. Like they're living here. It's a blizzard. They just uh murdered their couple and uh what 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 do they do? <laughs> They stay in their room. Do they, they mingle? Go about do business they... as usual. Yeah, but but then the idea of them leaving wouldn't really matter because is he going to say no. like, "Oh, my partner left without me"? Yes, my partner was going on a business trip. Hmm. I never go with them unless it's like a long term vacation destination. But they're going to St. Louis, and I don't like it there, so I stayed home. Cool. And so the college kids have the knowledge that there's a murder of there's a murder, right? And they go through the thing and do they what's the ending? Do they solve the crime and the cadet like is it is it just like a linear uh I don't see why not. They solve it and then they 
maybe. Hmm. I'm I'm trying to think of what kind of power imbalance the murderer would have that requires the apartment complex to team up against them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or at least yeah, members of the apartment complex to team up against them. And maybe so maybe right around here, close to like after the murder, then there's another another thought. Like they turn the machine back on and it's like, oh my god, they're gonna murder again. Like what what the <laughs> you know? Uh what do you think about that? Like, is that is that a good push or no? I'm I don't know. I'm I'm trying to. Th- you mean like they they're they're trying to uncover who did it before they kill again, like that? Right. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. uh, so we have to we have to catch this person, and yeah. there has to be an ending, right? So once the murder happens, we we need, like the 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 clock is going to kind of fizzle because yeah. what what's pushing the rest of this? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I like that. Um, what if, I mean, what if at the point that the murder happens, the main character calls everybody together and is like, all right, come and clean. I have a device that can read minds. Here it is. This is what it does. Someone in this apartment complex murdered someone. And then the print off, like, prints off. I have to kill the person who own, who runs this machine. And he's like, it's someone in this room. Yeah. And it kind and maybe they don't exactly tr- take it seriously yep. or like for like some that. reason, the meeting has to adjourn. Okay. Um, and then I think, I think in like, after that meeting, maybe the cadet does leave to like try and get the police there in person. Well, they all, we also have like a body here, so we could find the body, which would push the knowledge of who it is. Uh, but honestly, like I, we're we're pretty much out of time, so we got to work yeah. on this thing. Uh, yeah. I, I, this maybe this is a maybe ve- tune in. Well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say this was a very interesting episode because we spent more time talking to our guests than actually creating. Yes. We spent more time learning how to create uh, than actually just forcing a story. So yeah. I'll say that this is a, for me, this is a better way of doing it. Uh, I'm a collaborative person, which is why mm-hmm. our, our team works so well. Um, but yeah, maybe tune in to like a, like a twitching upstream and we'll yeah. keep working this thing. Uh, yeah. I think that's a really cool idea. Maybe we should start doing that. Maybe we should start with the talking upstreams and get get the story going, and then work the twitching upstream with all of our live viewers. Starting the some them... nobody's f- cinematic universe where you have to pay attention to everything we do in order to get anything understood. Uh, yes, it's gonna, the, it's gonna I, become I, so I, incomprehensible and bloated that you can't not watch everything we're doing. I don't understand why you jumped to that right right away. <laughs> but uh, honestly, I agree. I'm an Easter egg person. Let's get a show where like people just have no idea what's going on because you needed to have watched everything else. Uh, but anyway, I had such a great time today with uh, David and Bruce. Yeah. That was such a cool conversation. Uh, if you're watching this and you have not seen The Faculty for whatever reason, go check it out. It's an amazing movie directed by Robert Rodriguez. You have the amazing Josh Hartnett in one of his very first performances. Uh, you have uh, – who, who else? You have Claire Duvall. 
You have uh, a John Stewart's in it. You, uh, you have uh, Ethan Hawke in it, but he's not. Not Ethan Hawke. You have uh, uh, Frodo Baggins, Elijah Wood. Uh, it's oh, one yeah. of his like first teenage roles. You have uh, I, f- I forget. They're, they're, uh, it's the guy from Terminator Two, the, uh, the the bad cop. What's his name? Uh, it, it's got uh, an amazing Robert, Pat- Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick. Wow, good grab. The, cool. The liquid, uh, yeah. the liquid metal Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, very cool movie, sci-fi. It's something that we would have created anyway if it wasn't already done and pushed us to be creators. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for hanging out and watching this thing. Uh, thank you to Bruce and David for for teaching yeah. us something and just for actually just talking to us. You know how much we like the attention. Uh, if you want to see more stuff that we do and you want to see the progression of this thing, which I guess we're going to call it Apartment Complex Paranoia. Uh, wh- what now. do you think? Yeah, for now. Okay, cool. Uh, if you want to see how this thing works out, you can always go to our website, which is somenobodies.com. If you want to help us out, we have a movie being made right now. We have lots of shows going on. Uh, we keep creating shows and keep putting ourselves on things. So I don't know why we're doing that, but we actually just need some help. So if you go to patreon.com backslash somenobodies, we would love any help or any attention. Uh, scene snobs, thank you so much for having us on here. Uh, a lot of cool stuff on here, so keep watching wow. whatever's next. Uh, it might be one of our shows. I, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I know Mystery just got onto scene snobs, which is great. Um, Tonya Shek, Sarah Takachik, Scott Curtis, mm-hmm. thank you so much for believing in us, and thank you so much for patting us on the back. Uh, that means more than honestly we could ever we could ever know. Yeah. Um, IBM TV, thank you. And honestly, uh, Dylan, I know I say all the time, dude, but like you're one of the few people that I talk to consistently. Uh, you're one of the few people that I enjoy talking to, and uh, okay, you yeah. get how my you get how my brain works. So uh, thank you so much. And yeah. uh, I don't know, man. Until next time, I'm Zach. Until He's been Dylan. Time. You've been yeah, great. We'll be doing this until we make enough money that we can stop. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll probably keep <laughs> doing it. To. I mean, we're looking yeah. to make money, but we're not looking to stop. No, absolutely not. I, I want to continue to learn and grow and get better and make better stuff. So uh, I'll see you somewhere. Check us out. See you guys around. Take it easy out there. Bye. <laughs> Shoot the audience. They're cool. All right. Oh, it's bye. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs>